Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Dead Rock Stars with Mick Wall and Joel McIver. Hello, everybody. Welcome back once more to another killer episode of Dead Rock Stars, uh, in which uh, two learned, seasoned expert journalists with many, many years between us uh, discuss hang on, hang on, hang on. the life and times. I, hang on. I'm sorry. I've only just got it. I've killer episode. There you go. Thank See? you. Thank uh, you. Mix made a funny. Now, as I was saying, uh, we are two highly experienced One journalists who, who have covered between us a lot of ground when it comes to uh, to meeting rock stars, hanging out with them. Me more. Mick much more, I should stress. And it's a great privilege to be here. With uh, me. Especially today, because my colleague Mick uh, has met um, the chap that we're about to be talking about. Oh. As we're about to find out, a man who was a, 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 a sort of pretty much defined the, the term big character, dead long before his time. Yes. But still very much revered in the classic rock community, not least by drummers, which is a big clue. So, Mick, who are we talking about today? We are talking about John Bonzo Bonham. The great John Bonham. The great John Bonham, one of the greatest rock drummers that ever lived. What was uh, his band called? Mm, Led Zeppelin. Zeppelin. Deep Zeppelin. Deep Zeppelin. Themselves, not really an ongoing uh, entity, but still incredibly revered and worshipped and talked about all these years. Yeah, and rightly so. And Mm -hmm. and of course, you know, uh, we're kind of skipping ahead here, but Mm. one of the reasons Zeppelin aren't around anymore, Mm. one of the reasons, Mm. is that John Bonham died at an incredibly, uh, tragically young age, just 32 when he died at a time when the band were at a low ebb anyway, yeah. it effectively finished them off. The end of the one of the biggest bands ever. I mean, a unique band, right? Absolutely. There's really another Led Zepp, is there? No. no. John's son, Jason, in mm. Jason, who is in, himself a fantastic drummer and yeah. probably his dad's biggest fan in, in, on a musical level. Yeah. They have a ready-made replacement, as it were. But the thing about Zeppelin is that they were about improvisation quite often about spontaneity jimmy page always characterizes it as the four different elements Mm. (laughs) as he would of course but there's a lot to be said for that in led zeppelin you know bonham's uh, not just his skill as a drummer but the way jimmy is a fantastic producer would introduce those dynamics at certain moments in songs yeah I mean, Stairway to Heaven being the classic example where mm. you don't even hear John until five three, minutes in three or, or four minutes yeah, in, yeah, something yeah. like that. Yeah. And then when he comes in, you don't even know he's not there until suddenly he comes in and mm. he announces himself, you know, in, in every way possible. Yeah. Now, the journalist in me suggests that we should tell a few people of the basics about Led Zeppelin, but uh, yeah. the pragmatist in me sort of realises that pretty much everyone who's listening to this knows 
those facts. But for the sake of completism, completeness, uh, let us point out that uh, Led Zeppelin existed from when to when? I'm going to guess and say somewhere like 68 to 80, was it like that? They recorded their first album when they were still the New Yardbirds. The New Yardbirds. In September 1968. And we had Robert Percy Plant on vocals. We had the great Jimmy Page as the guitarist and essentially the driver of the band. Is, is Leader, much his producer. Band, yeah. The great John Paul Jones band. on bass. And, uh, of course, Bonzo on drums. And as you said a minute ago, I mean, that is four unique characters. I mean, which of these have you met, Mick? I know, I know you met Bonzo. I've met all you of met them. you met all of them. I've met all of them, particularly yeah. Jimmy, who I first met 30 years ago. Yeah. But Robert, nearly as long. John Paul Jones, I don't know anywhere near as well, but mm. I've met John mm. and interviewed him. And Jason Bonham. Funnily enough, I met Jason before I met Jimmy. Right. When he was still very young. Yeah. And as he always reminds me, I gave his band at the time an incredibly bad review. Was that Air Race or yes. Bonfire or something? Wasn't no, it? no, Air Race. And uh, he's still able to <laughs> quote parts of that review. <laughs> Back at you. Brilliant. Which, yeah, which is, which is unsettling. What uh, Mick won't say, because he's such a modest chap, is that he wrote what I think is the definitive book on Led Zeppelin. Was it called When Giants Walked the Earth? When Giants Walked the Earth. And in fact, the if I can get a plug in, the mm. uh, updated... Oh, here we go. 10th anniversary of the book, 50th anniversary of the band, uh, an extra 40,000 words out to it. Yeah, dozens of brand new interviews. That comes out in October 2018. Splendid timing. Readers, listeners rather, if you're interested in Led Zeppelin, as you should be, you definitely want to read this book and especially Mix Update coming out soon. So look, let's talk about these four guys mm. with a focus on Bonzo. Yeah. What, what made him different from the rest of them? John, John yeah. Bonham. Yeah. Well, uh, there was this kind of uh, yin-yang divide in Led Zeppelin, as there often is in, in the great... Surely yin, yin, yang, yang, there's four of them. Well, n- no, if you actually let me finish, Joel... Oh, I, I never I, like to let you finish. No, no, God forbid, not I safe. Should, God forbid I should not get to the point. <laughs> You've got the two guys from London, OK? And I'm trying to remember, which is the feminine in yin and yang? I don't fucking know. I guess you do, sitting there in your Buddhist T-shirt <laughs> and incense. All right, it's yang. I don't know which one it is. But anyway, um, uh, the the two guys from London, Jimmy and John Paul, both experienced session men. Jimmy played on, as a session guitarist between 1962 and 66, he played on, rather astonishingly, 60% of all the records that went top 10 in the UK during those years. That is an astounding statistic. Including such classics as Walk Tall by Val Dunican. Bloody hell. Uh, there must have been a Screaming Lord Such tune in there. Oh, yes, but I don't know how many of those reached the top ten. I mean, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm, people go, oh, he played on the Kinks records and he, he played with Donovan and yeah. he played with... Yes, he did, but he also played on Shirley Bassey, yeah. Engelbert Humperdinck. So you've got Jimmy and John Paul Jones. John Paul had also played on zillions of sessions. Yeah, Jimmy was very wealthy at that point. John was pretty well off. They both came from very nice middle-class families. Now, that I did not know. Oh, God, yeah. John was a choir master, and, uh, you know, they were doing very, very well. To go back to the yin-yang thing, okay? Jimmy Page and John Paul Jones from London. Middle-class, wealthy, respected, masters of taste, friends with everyone. Mm. You know, George Harrison was a friend of Jimmy's. Mm. Brian Jones was a very close friend of Jimmy's, you know. Now, contrast to the black country where John Bonham and Robert Plant came from, Mm -hmm. they knew no one. They both came from very working class backgrounds. Mm. 
They both left school very, very early. They both of them were on the Mar Reagan, what was called the Mar Reagan circuit in the Midlands, which was an incredible scene, in fact, from which came, mm. you know, the roots of traffic, yeah. uh, the move, which was the roots of ELO, yeah. Led Zeppelin, Judas Priest, Black Sabbath, mm. loads of other artists mm. from that part of the world. The Mar Reagan circuit was a kind of self-contained Midlands circuit of clubs and pubs. They would play these places. I mean, Robert Plant was introducing little Stevie Wonder on stage (laughs) when Robert was perhaps 17. Mm. What they didn't have, and don't forget, this is 1968 when the Zeppelin first came together. Yeah. This is the era of Jimi Hendrix. This is the era of the Pink Floyd, the, the Doors. Yeah. The Beatles at their best, the Stones just entering their most amazing period, Bob Dylan. This is an age of uh, in rock music that mm. is never to be repeated. Yeah. It's probably at this point the most influential art form in the Western world. And these guys might have some money and might be very good instrumentalists, but nobody knows who the fuck they are. It's interesting, you're mentioning all those great artists who were... Uh... Largely psychedelic in nature at this point, I yeah, think, and yeah. also incredibly experimental. And you could not, I think, say that about Zeppelin, which was relentlessly sort of retro in its approach. Ooh, or is, no, that, is that not right? Oh, no, it? I think you've just uh, mounted yourself on the horns of Satan there, mm. Joel, because... <laughs> I've been trying to do it for a while. Zeppelin, Zeppelin, I can tell. Zeppelin, uh, <laughs> no, no, Zeppelin were, I think, extraordinarily innovative, but probably not in the ways you particularly mean. Here's why Zeppelin matter, OK? Unlike Black Sabbath or Deep Purple or these Mm. bands they tend to get lumped in with, they weren't a one-trick pony. You know, Jimmy Page's influences are all over that very first album, which are not just blues, not just rock, not just folk, Mm. but you've got Indian scales, you've got uh, mysticism, you've got a blend of what Jimmy always called the light and the dark. And as a producer, you know, to me, his real genius was in production. Very, very good guitarist, but not a shredder. No. I mean, not a Blackmore, not a Hendrix or or even perhaps a Jeff Beck. But in terms of colour, in terms of what we would now call sonic textures, an absolute master. And when I was interviewing people for the book... Chris Welch, who was on The Melody Maker in those days, told me about the days uh, Jimmy came into The Melody Maker with the first copy of the first Mm. Led Zeppelin album, and they played it in the office. And he said it literally nearly blew the speakers. Mm. He said they had never heard a sound like that Mm. come off a record. Mm. And for me, the way I characterise him is the world was kind of in black and white before them. And they brought it into the 70s. They brought it into colour. And they innovated in the terms of the business as well. They were the first group to get really, really rich way before the Beatles or the Stones or anybody else Mm. because they had as their manager this Mm. fifth element Mm. that might be characterised as Odin, you know. The the terrifying Peter Grant. The terrifying Peter Grant, who I also knew for a while. And what was he like before we... We'll quickly get on to Bonzo in a minute, but what was he like then? Well, I once worked with Don Arden on his oh, uh, memoir. Yeah. And Peter Grant began as Don Arden's driver. <laughs> Peter Grant began working for Don when Don was managing Little Richard, yeah. Gene Vincent, yeah. characters, you might say. Yeah. I mean, Peter yeah. Grant was the one who had to pull Gene Vincent down the stairs after Gene had put a gun to the keyhole of his neighbour and shot through it three times. <laughs> And Don Arden, in case people don't know, was Sharon Osbourne's father, and he was very much known as the godfather of 
of rock. Yeah, terrifying man. In the late 50s and early 60s, he went on to manage the small faces, the animals, the move, and, of course, most famously, Black Sabbath, Wizard and Electric Light Orchestra. Mm. He was mafia-connected. I liked him. You know, I worked with him in the 90s uh, when he was a much older man, of course, and I just, my sides used to split with laughter yeah. at the stories he would tell. Yeah. Because he was fearless. As he held know. a gun to your forehead. Well, he, saying, he, laugh, you bastard. It came from the Wild <laughs> West. It was like getting a chance to interview Jesse James no, as an older understand. man. Yeah, you know. yeah. Peter Grant learned. Cut from the same sort of mould. L- no, learned at the uh, knee. Yeah, yeah. You know, if Don Arden was the Jesus of yeah. gangster management, Peter was uh, Peter. I was going to say Peter was Paul, but <laughs> I think our producer Ian put something in the coffee. What's interesting, though, is that these characters are kind of biblical, right? In they their are, stature. It, they days, are. You know. They are. Well, Zeppelin truly were a, yeah. a, a biblical band yeah. because they had their own mythology, yeah. which persists to this day in a way that it doesn't. For every other artist, I'd say, except possibly Hendrix or perhaps The Doors, you know, people that did die young. Well, this ties in with the ethos of our podcast, does it not? We'll come back to what you're saying in a second. But largely, people who die young with their life's work not done, Mm. they provide a a fascination for us, don't they? We wonder what the hell they've done. They do, they do. Although, Mm. you know, you saying that, and I completely agree, but I think in the case of Zeppelin, what has any of them done since that compares? No. Absolutely. Their best days ended. For me, their best days ended before Bonzo died. But there is a mythology that persists about Led Zeppelin because Mm. they were a band, you know, unlike Morrison or Hendrix. Mm. They really were the four elements. And because they weren't media friendly, you know, they didn't do Top of the Pops or they weren't available in that respect. They didn't release hit singles. You know, people Mm -hmm. don't have a string of hit singles. They immediately can roll off the tip of their tongue with Led Zeppelin. It's all tracks like Stairway to Heaven. The Whole Lot of Love wasn't a single in this country, you know. Yeah, Where does Bonzo fit into this jigsaw of of awesomeness? Well, Bonzo plays a huge part because... Bonzo, from the word go, I mean, all the people I interviewed from up in the Midlands that knew him well in those days, he he was a serial drum kit destroyer Mm. because he played it so hard. Mm. And, of course, he liked to drink. Let me just cut through to something. The power drumming that you just talked about. Yeah. Carmine Apici is always the guy who likes to give himself credit for that approach. Mm. Rightly or wrongly, I don't know, I wasn't there. Where do you stand on that? Bonzo second when it came to smacking the crap out of his drums? No. T- t- give me, name up. me one Carmine or Peachy track that anybody can remember. Um, uh, that will, isn't you keep me hanging on. We'll get we'll get the producer to insert me sounding clever later. But no, I can't think of one. No, because there right. isn't one. Mm. It's as simple as that. Cactus, great uh, band. But yes. Uh, let me let me <clears> say <throat> something to you. Mm. When the levee breaks, mm. Black Dog, whole lot of love. Yeah. Need I go on? Well, no, that's powerful drumming for sure. But it wasn't all about power, it was about taste no, and subtlety. No, not at all. Yeah, yeah. Did he, he have a swing? Did he push and pull the oh, tempos? Yeah, yeah. totally, yeah. totally. I mean, yeah. funnily enough, um, I was talking to Ginger Baker not so long ago, and he said Bonham, he had no swing whatsoever. He swang like a sack of shit, I think mm. was the exact quote. But then Ginger is a whole bunch of interesting people on his own, which I'm sure we'll talk about one day. Bonham, absolutely, one day soon. But Bonham, <laughs> are you kidding? I mean, literally, when the levee breaks, if that doesn't have a swing, why has it been sampled so many times oh, by people looking for that? 
that is a swing of the devil's anvil right there. Mm, you know, right. you're in the dungeon of hell with, with them all, you know, hammering out their, their spears yeah. that are going to shove through your heart. You the know. swing's the thing. The swing's the thing. But subtlety, yes, in the sense that he had an incredible gift. So, for instance, you know, that double bass drum. Yeah. Uh, these days they've invented pedals to make it sound like you've got a foot like a rabbit, yeah, you know. yeah. yeah. Bonham just had a regular shit kit to begin with, mm. and he could still do all that. Mm-hmm. He also was the master of knowing when to come in, when to stop. Yeah. His solo, famously in Zeppelin, featured him using his hands. Yeah. Which was amazing because, you know, he wasn't playing bongos. No, I know. He was hitting the shit out of those drums and the cymbals. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. he'd come off and his hands would be cut. Yeah. But he did it so often, he built up calluses on calluses so that his hands were literally like shovels mm. and he could hit anything, mm. including people. Well, that, that segues neatly into my next question, which was, he is popularly thought to have had a rather thuggish side. Now, clearly that's not the entirety of the man. Mm. There are many stories, are there not, about him being particularly violent to people, perhaps when he was in his cups, overserved at the bar? Oh, yeah, yeah. I, like, I, I love that. Overserved at the bar, yeah. That's not mine. I it, nicked, it, nicked it from someone else. It, but it's it quite was, a good one, isn't it? It was not me, my lord. I, I was merely mm. overserved. Over refreshed. Uh, no, I like overserved at <laughs> the bar. I'll tell you what, Glenn Hughes, who I always mention every time. Because he's my friend. Did you ever work with him on anything? I um, I let me think. I may have, may have worked with him on his autobiography. Again, oh, did, did he do an autobiography? He did do one. And yeah. you worked yeah, yeah. on I, that. I helped him out. Did you? I, I was his co. The reason I mentioned Glenn, and it's <laughs> relevant in this case, because he's obviously one of the Black Country chaps that you just yes, talked about. Yes, he is. He is. Um, yeah. And he knew Bonzo quite well. And at one point, Bonzo punched him in the face quite hard. Mm. He. Uh, A lot of people have wanted to do that to uh, Glenn. To I be felt, perfectly honest. Oh, I mean, oh, yeah, draw, I'm sure, draw, I'm draw sure John wasn't the only one. Yeah. <laughs> I heard you once hit him. He was at the. Uh, he was uh, Glenith was at the launch of um, of the fourth album, I think, and the crowd parted magically, and he saw Bonzo crawling on his hands and knees towards him, <laughs> playing horsey. Well, I think that would have been a better outcome. I can't possibly recall what the what it was that had irritated. John, John, but he punched Glenn full in the face, and I think that was the end of the evening. Right, but um, yeah, well, the, so end the, the end of the evening for Glenn. I think it was just it, the beginning the of, the of the evening the for Bonzo. Yeah, yeah. So look, that, that, the, the reason I bring this up is that these stories are rife. Um, yeah, yeah. Well, okay. Was he was he a yeah. pretty frightening man? You know. You know yes, yeah. yes, of course, yes. Mm. But listen, was Keith Moon a frightening man? You know. Right. I met yeah. Keith Moon in 77 and yeah. it wasn't pleasant. It wasn't funny. It wasn't like, hey, Keith's here, everybody. Mm. Let's have a good... It was like, oh, oh fuck, Keith's no, here. fuck. Mm. Well, I really got to go. <laughs> um, Say that again. <laughs> really got to go. <laughs> I, I think drummers... You know, my father was a drummer. <clears throat> yeah. He was terrifying. I mean, I think drummers... You know, if you've got a guy who enjoys hitting things so much mm. with all four limbs mm. and his head when available. Mm. You've got a guy who expresses himself in that way. Sure. In the deepest possible way, both joy, frustration, despair. I mean, Ian Mosley from Marillion, mm. I mean, one wouldn't consider Ian a thug. I mean, he's a mm. wonderfully nice man. He's told me in the past that if it wasn't for the fact that he played drums, he probably would be a much more violent yeah. person. Yeah, okay. It's and a he, physical and, workout, isn't it? A it, release of energy. It's a release of energy. And also the thing with John Bonham is that he was a great family man. He was a homebody. Bonham was a homebody. What does that mean? 
He hated being dragged away from home. When he was at home, mm. uh, he had a farm. He wasn't a guy that hung out in London and partayed. Mm. He didn't have a lot of rock star friends. He was friends with Bill Ward, who was a fellow Midlander yeah. and a drummer. Yeah. He was a friend with people like Mac Poole, who played in other bands that didn't make it but was on the scene. He had friends that he'd had before Zeppelin yeah. that he loved the company of. But he lived on this vast farm. There are famous clips in the Zeppelin movie, the song remains the mm. same, where you mm. see him on the tractor. Mm. That's mm. not made up. That's not, John, get on the tractor, this will be a great shot. He worked the farm. He was a man of the soil. At the same time, you know, he owned Ferraris, yeah. Lamborghinis, and... When he went on the road, he was still very young. You know, he was 21, 22 when he joined Zeppelin. And this is not an age of social media or mobile phones or being able to Skype home. Yeah. You know, when you're in your 44th date on a 93-date US tour and you're in Poughkeepsie, Foxville, it's lonely and it's tough and it's weird. And okay, it's all right for Jimmy and John Paul Jones to go off and play the flute in the corner or something and write, you know, madrigals and magic spells. (laughs) It's easy for Robert Plant to, you know, chill out with some Californian babe. Bonzo, it was a different deal. His way of expressing himself was with his hands and his feet. And yes, I mean, I think more than people even, there were the times when he was in a suite in a hotel in Los Angeles and he was so frustrated and fed up, he actually broke apart a grand piano that was in his suite on a bet that he couldn't break it into so many small pieces he could get it out the window. (laughs) And he did. I mean, he broke it down into matchbox-sized pieces with an axe and managed to get the whole thing out the window. Bloody hell. Yeah. Nowadays it'd be an iPhone or something, wouldn't it? Well, d- these <clears> days <throat> they're probably sitting there playing their <clears throat> stupid games, Angry aren't birds. they? Yeah, yeah, I know. All right, look, so from what you're saying, which is exactly what I think people need to hear, fame didn't suit him particularly, right? You know, He wasn't interested yeah. in fame, no. He, I mean, he loved yeah. to play the drums, he loved to get drunk. I mean, this guy died at 32. So Tell he, us how he died. The prelude to how he died was that uh, in the late 70s, along with Jimmy Page and Peter Grant, Mm. Bonzo got deep down the heroin rabbit hole, was a junkie, very addicted, and uh, conversely, that curbed his drinking to a great degree because the two just don't mix, not not when you're deep into it. But clearly this wasn't the greatest way to be. Mm. He tried to get over it, particularly as uh, Zeppelin were about to do a big comeback tour in America scheduled for 1981. Don't forget between 75 and 80, they'd only toured America once. Yes. And that tour ended in tragedy when Robert Plant's son, Carrick... uh, Stomach uh, infection. Yeah. I mean, just died. Horrendous thing to happen. So uh, Bonzo hadn't had any reason to leave the country for a long time. But if he's going to go back to America, he needs to not be a heroin addict. So he uh, was under medication, which was supposed to give him incredible nausea if he did touch heroin. But of course, being young and stupid... I mean, I remember the late 70s. That was when I was first in the business. And you were on a tour and you're ill. Well, you know what? Have a couple of glasses of Jack Daniels and three or four lines of Coke, and mm. you'll feel a lot better. <laughs> you know, there was no this sense of, well, let's get you off the road for a couple of weeks and get some juices, get Vitamin in the gym, yeah, yeah. let's go jogging. There was yeah. none of that. It was yeah. chop, 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 chop. Here you go. So, this is the era we're in. He's taking this medication that's deliberately meant to make him puke if he yeah. takes heroin. But, of course, he's not taking heroin, so what's he doing? He's drinking. Mm -hmm. He's also full of anxiety about going back to America. Mm. He doesn't want to go. The previous tour had been a nightmare. 
He doesn't want to leave home. He's frightened of what he's going to become again. And so on the day he died,、uh, he was on his way to Jimmy's.、Uh, he was coming down, driving down from the Midlands. Yeah. And、uh, they were rehearsing at Jimmy's place, the old mill house. And、um, by the coroner's estimation, he had drunk the equivalent of thirty-two measures of vodka. Crikey. Now that will be on top of cigarettes and weed and God knows what else. I mean, coroners don't actually check for cocaine and things like that、mm. in those circumstances. So it would have been、uh, a heart failure or whatever. He no, he, they put it. He、man. passed out. I mean, I remember those days so well. You didn't、mm. so much go right. Okay, guys, I'm off to bed now. See anyone? You just passed out,、yeah. and then they carried you to the bedroom, and that's what happened. Mick Hinton, his tech, took him up there, lay him on his side, and in the morning when they went to wake him up, he was dead. He'd vomited in the night、mm. and asphyxiated. He choked on his own vomit.、Mm. Bev Bevan, the ELO drummer, who was another from the Midlands, another big friend of Bonzo's, he went to the funeral. He told me it was the most awful, almost gothically tragic occasion he'd ever been to. He said there were people screaming in the church and people abject with misery. Yeah, and people don't understand. You know, there, there was a famous French promoter who nicknamed. Bonham La Bête, you know, <laughs> the Beast,、mm. because he destroyed the promoter's car one night deliberately. I mean, there were obviously loads of these stories. Yeah, just as there are loads of stories of Keith Moon driving Rolls Royces into swimming pools、yeah. and all the rest of it.、Mm-hmm. But what people don't understand is that he was a family man. He had a sister. He had a mother. Yeah, that he loved and adored a wife,、mm-hmm. Jason, his、mm-hmm. son.、Mm-hmm. I mean, there's that marvelous footage in the Zeppelin film of,、mm. of of Jason as a six-year-old or something, playing the drums and John overseeing him. Page told me a great story that at Nebworth in '79, just a year before Bonzo died, they were sound checking, and、uh, Page is on the stage sound checking. He looks out, and there's Bonham standing. You know where the front of the audience would be, and he's thinking, "Well, who the hell is on drums?" And he, he turns around. It was Jason. <laughs> Jason was thirteen at Just the time. Thirteen. Boom, boom, ba. Yeah. Boom, 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 ba. So he was very loved. I mean, thirty-two. I think if you're twenty-two, that sounds, that sounds like maybe you've had an innings. Yeah. But we know that's no, nothing. No, no, it's that's it's no a、inch. kid. It's a kid who、um, lived in an era when cocaine was treated like champagne. Yeah. Heroin was、uh, from the Ming Dynasty.、Mm. You know, it, it was all—it was all exquisitely decadent, and he didn't fit that role. It didn't work for him, and, and it was the end of him. It was the ruin the of him, of him and not—not not the first、mm. musician to、no. go that way. But I think it's unfair when we look back at Bonzo Labette and think of this absolute, outrageously、yeah. foul monster. Yeah, you know, there was definitely a Jekyll and Hyde. Yeah. But you know, Mr. Hyde was a pretty good guy. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress.、Uh, it's a it's a t shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment. You can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wegovy and Zepbound for those who qualify. 
Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Dead Rock Stars. Too much fucking perspective. Can I tell you about the time I met him? You may. 1980. Oh, Christ. Yeah. This is about four months before he died. Mm. And I'm the PR for Black Sabbath. It was their first UK tour with Ronnie James Dio as the vocalist. Mm. And they were doing five nights at what was then the Hammersmith Odeon in London. Yeah. And Jason, I've spoken about this since. Jason was a big Sabbath fan. Mm -hmm. You know, he, he loved Zeppelin. He would have been, what, 14 then? Yeah. Sabbath fan. Rainbow fan. Couldn't mm. wait to see Dio in Sabbath. Mm. So we got a call from their office saying tickets, passes, and I sorted it out. And I think I told you in the past, Bill Ward you know, used to drive me nuts on that tour because yeah. <laughs> every night after the show, I'd be dragged into the dressing room and Bill would be sitting there in a blubber of sweat mm. and paranoia mm. and drug-fueled weirdness. Angst. Yeah, angst. Yeah, yeah. And he'd be going, fucking hell, Mick, I want you to write this down and send it out on the fucking wire. And we'd be in Sheffield and I'd be thinking, what wire? Mm. You know, there's no wire, Bill. We're not in a Milwaukee, you know. That mm. Write this down. And i go, okay. And he'd go, oh, I broke me drumstick in children in the grave. And I'd write all these bollocks down. And as I got to the dressing room door, Paul Clark, the tour manager, would go, uh, have you got something for me, Mick? And I'd give him the paper and he'd roll it up into a ball and throw it in the bin. We used to call the bin the wire. Put, put that on the wire. you know. So anyway, I'm in the middle of this fucking Bill Ward nightmare and I'm backstage at the Hammersmith audience, like the third night of five or something. And I'm, yeah. I'm always in there on my own because no one can stand to be with him when he's like this. I'm in there on my own. Oh, so we're in the middle of Iron Man. You know, so I'm like, all right, all right. So I'm writing it down. Suddenly the door, literally the door bursts open. Bang! In comes Bonzo. The man himself. In yeah. comes the man. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and Bill's like, hello, Bonzo. All right, mate, Bonzo. Oh, I love you, Bonzo. What did you think of the show? And Bonham goes up to the drinks table and he's looking. He's looking, he goes, where's the fucking whiskey? And Bonham goes, let me look at the back, there's some Jack So Bonzo grabs this bottle, goes, takes the top off, goes, literally, gunk, gunk, God. gunk, yeah. gunk, 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 slams the bottle down. Yeah. And Bill goes, see what did you think of the gig, Bonzo? Bonzo goes, you were fucking shite. And Bill goes, you're right, Bonzo, you're so right. I was just telling Mick we were fucking shy, wasn't I, Mick? And I'm like, no. <laughs> and I'm thinking, who's this fucking madman? Because I hadn't connected the dots yet. And then I went, oh, it's John Bonham. It's fucking John Bonham. It's John Bonham. Yeah. Oh, isn't that time you must be going? You know? But it was quite funny. I Did mean, you exchange a few words with him? No, you must be joking. I, I mm, melted mm. into the background because, you know, to have someone turn around to Bill Woods, I mean, this is two minutes after they've come off stage. Yeah, and go, yeah. 
you were fucking shite. You know, it was like, hmm, uh, not entirely how I'd have put it. Uh, you yeah. know, it was very... It's not endearing behaviour. Oh, I loved him for but it. That, I look back pretty now, straight, though, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. the amount of times... Straight I'd, shooting. I would love to do that. Wouldn't you love to do that? You know, I, I heard you went to see Cannibal Corpse recently. I did. Wouldn't you love to... Did that to... news come out on the wire? Well, Is that yeah. how you know that? It's on the fucking wire. Wouldn't you have loved to have gone into the dressing room after smashed open the door and gone, where's the fucking whiskey? And I go, hello, Joel. All right, mate. It's over there. And they're going, what do you think? Are they American? They are. Okay, they're... hey, Joel. Yeah. What do you think of the show, buddy? What do you think of the show, buddy? I love you, buddy. We've known each other a long time, buddy. <laughs> I love it when you go to our show. You've been a long time supporter and friend and goodwill. What do you think of the show? <laughs> it was fucking shite. <laughs> Yeah, you know what, Joe? You're right. You're, me and the guys, we were just going to talk about it. Yeah, we were going to talk about it. <laughs> guys, I think I think Joe has makes a valid point. <laughs> yeah, I take your point. I'm far too quiet and introverted for that to ever happen. But I take your point. I appreciated the moment. Yeah, and knowing Jason as well as I do now, yeah. and Jason, you know, like all of us who've had how do you put it, father issues, mm. troubled relationships yeah. with our fathers. Yeah, yeah. We bear the scars, and Jason does too. But the warmth Jason exudes, you know, yeah. when he's not in a dark moment, his light moments, his joy are very all-consuming. Mm. He's very like his dad in the sense that he's extremely extrovert, but very much wants to have that family yeah. kind of bond with you. Yeah. Very inclusive, we're all in it together, we're mates against the world. I wonder if that surname is... A burden as well as a blessing, you know. For Jason, mm, yeah. I think it definitely was in, in his early career because yeah. he, uh, he, you know, he had his own band and he tried to make it on his own and then people like me would come along and the review would be very much focused on him. But I think he quickly got over it. I mean, yeah. by 1988, when he was, I think, 22, he was playing in uh, on Jimmy Page's solo album and subsequent tour. He's taken part in the various Zeppelin reunions. Black Country Communion? Absolutely. He's mm. he's in a much better place now. And of course, he has his own show, the Jason Bonham Led Zeppelin Experience, where he gets to talk about his father, some of the stories. Because at the end of the day, you know, what really lives on, whoever Bonham may or may not have, have roughed up and upset, yeah, yeah. you know, these things pass. Yeah. But what lives with us, and I think Zeppelin's music is timeless, you know. I find it as interesting to listen to now. Yeah more so in many ways yeah. than I did when it first came out. There are some bands where you can sit down with their catalogue and that catalogue will not give up its secrets, likely. Yeah. You can listen to it through and through, years, decades even. Yeah. There's a lot of bands like that, actually. Yeah. Great, deep, rich, textured sort of you know, tapestries of music. The one thing I would say about Jason, although perhaps it's dipping a little bit into his personal life, was that he sobered up, didn't he? Mm -hmm. Unlike his father, which always interests me. Can he... I point out, though, that Jason was a lot older than his father, when he did that? Yeah, I mean, right. John, John died at 32. Mm. I was talking about this to Jason a little while ago, and I think, oh, I wish I could remember how many years, but he would have been in his 40s when he... But he did it. Yeah. So he didn't repeat, or I'm trying to say, he didn't have his father's fatal flaw in that sense. He, he defeated it. You know, he didn't succumb to it. it different times, Joel. Yeah. If Jason <clears> had been a young man in the 70s... Yeah, any of us, actually, right? Well, I mean, yeah. I was a young man in the 70s. And you were never a young man. No, that's true. You're Rather still... like the vampire Lestat, <laughs> I, I, I merely assumed human form. 
Um, no, no, I tell you what, seriously, in the, in the 70s, it was a completely different mindset. Um, People consumed and, and consumed and over-consumed. I, I never heard the word rehab, I don't think, till the early 90s. Glenn Hughes was telling me that. He said that, my friend Glenn, yeah. he said that... Uh, Did you, to, uh, do you know Glenn? I've met him. Have you? Yeah, we actually worked together. Did you, on a, on he, a book? He told me that the first time he attempted to sober up, I think they threw some tranquilizers at him. Yeah. That was it. He was trying to get off cocaine and they gave him tranquilizers, which is, you know, yeah. that, that would be more laughed, laughed at. More nowadays. addictive than the cocaine, probably. Yeah, yeah. yeah, you know, that's madness. So, okay, fine. Different times, as you say. Um, I mean, the whole culture, the fact that you can talk about rehab, you yeah. can talk about being sober. What's your name day, you know, which is the day you quit? You're There's able no to... shame in it now, I think. No, you no, know? not at all. And I'm sure alcoholism and drug abuse is as prevalent now as it ever was. But it was normalised in the 70s. Yeah. I mean, when I, yeah. when I started in the business in the mid-70s, that it was very clear what the rules were. No drugs are addictive, only heroin. And mm. even heroin, you know, you can get over that. You go and see the magic doctor in Harley Street, yeah. give you some pills. A shot of B12 th- or three, No, the B12 was more cocaine ah. influence because that would, you know, you'd be in rough shape and frazzled and that would bring you back to earth God. for, you know, yeah. eight hours or something. Yeah. But yeah. No, heroin was, you, know, you don't want to do that. Occasionally you can do it. As as you don't go over the top. Be careful, mate. Yeah, yeah. Watch what you do with that. That's the dodgy one. But the rest, it was that there was no VD, there was no drugs that were addictive. These were all terrible tales told no by the, told by the man. Yeah. Well, there really was no AIDS at the time. Yeah, I yeah. Mean, but the the rest about drugs being addictive and there was so much misinformation. You know, he had a reefer cigarette <laughs> and he was addicted for life. I mean, people just laughed at that. The mm. No one was informed, I guess. No, right. have another line. Stop moaning. Was it more fun, though? Fuck yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was more fun. But, that was the answer I was hoping for. But right? it's always short-term fun, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, uh, 30 years ago, I'd have probably been sitting here cracking beers, you know. Yeah. But anyway, I, I fear the dark wing of Mr. Callahan is upon us. Yeah, the producer's just waved at me in the way that he does, but he's a very handsome man. So, was it the uh, one whatever. finger wave? Uh, the one, the one, uh, look at his hair. <laughs> now listen. As is traditional at the end of uh, one of these amazing podcasts, we tend to award the subject about whom we've talked with a mark out of five in various categories. And although we've just spent a lot of time talking about the great Bonzo's intake, I'd like to ask Mick what you think, um, you know, would he get full marks, five out of five for intake or, or, you know, of various illicit substances? Or would you say, no, that wasn't all he was? Well, it definitely wasn't all he was. Mm. Uh, And I I think... um I don't know. If it was marks out of five, I'm going to say four. Yeah. Okay, good. Uh, what about his legacy as a musician? Oh, I would... That's five. That's but, indubitable, isn't it? I mean, it, it, it is. You know. I mean, whether you want to be take a contrary position... Well... You know, so, some people you always say can, that, say that you know, yeah. Beatles are overestimated and all that. Mm. So if you want to say Bonham is overestimated, then by all means express that ridiculous opinion. But his influence, it, untold... I mean, untold. Charlie Watts of the Rolling Stones, arguably, you know, yeah. may have a more percussive subtlety and all the rest of it. But in terms of rock musicians, and not just drummers, yeah. people wanting to have that incredible feel, that he, atmosphere that he brought to everything, I'm mm. definitely five out of five. Okay. We often award Mark, cynical though it may be, for death as a career move. This really, you need to look at the success of Zeppelin, I guess, post-Bonham. There wasn't any Zeppelin <laughs> success post-Bonham. No, but look at the profile of the band. I mean, it's still Oh, big. I see what you mean. Okay, in John Bonham's case, I... Um, wow. Okay, I think it's the same as any other 
incredible rock star or incredible film star or, or artist mm. that dies way too young. Yeah. I mean, the, immediately the legend is encased in gold and unicorns yeah. and rainbows and death symbols. As a career move, though, no. I'm going to say zero for that because yeah. no good came of that. I've got to ask, would Led Zepp's 1981 tour have been a resounding success and would they have gone on to further great things? Personally, I don't think so, no. Mm. Uh, if you read my book, the updated edition of which comes out in October 2018, I don't know if I mentioned that. Glenn isn't in it, but oh. um, although there's still time. You'll see that, honestly, you know, hand on heart, for me, Zeppelin ended in 1975. Got it. It ended out there on the road in Africa when Robert Plant crashed his car. You know, they did, what, let me see, four, five, seven albums, if you include Physical Graffiti as two albums. They did seven albums in six years. Mm, mm. And then in the last five years of their career, they did two albums, both of which are probably the the least significant of their career. So for me, Zeppelin were already a spent force. I mean, you have to ask yourself, and again, I do in the book, if John Bonham had died after Led Zeppelin II, do we really think Led Zeppelin would not have carried on? They would have carried on. Of course they would. With Carmine Apici or someone on drums. Yeah. I think you and Carmine need to get a room, frankly. (laughs) No, I I take your point. They didn't carry on because they were hanging on by a thread anyway when Bonzo died. Bonzo dying when he did was symptomatic of the fact that the band itself was already half dead anyway. Creatively spent. Yeah, absolutely. Mm, Okay. So, you know, we we have a good time in these podcasts and we're irreverent, you know, and we take the piss. But actually, there's a prevalent sense of sadness, basically, that these people left us too soon, I think. Yeah, The world is a a poorer place without them. Definitely. 100%. Oh, absolutely. All right. Now, the next uh, person we're going to be talking about on this awesome series of podcasts did not die particularly young. And indeed, he has certain things in common with uh, the man we've been discussing. Bear with me, Mick. As young men, yeah... Both Bonzo and the person we're talking about next, they both played in bands with the word spiders in their name. That might give it away for you. Both John Bonham and our next dead rock star were both heavily influenced by Stanley Kubrick's A Clockwork Orange. Bonzo's bandmate Jimmy Page shared an interest in the occult with our next subject, particularly in regards to Kenneth Anger's film Lucifer Rising. Now, I know the ears are pricking up all over the place as I say this. And finally, of course, our next dead rock star seriously believe that Jimmy Page had put a curse on him. Let's leave it there, Mick. Until next Until time. Until next time. Thank you and goodbye. Goodbye. Boom, boom. <laughs> boom. No, hang on. Boom, boom. <laughs> this has been a Seven Digital <laughs> production. <laughs> boom, boom. <laughs> boom, boom. Boom, boom. <laughs> <And> face. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> If you enjoyed this, then please rate, review and subscribe to the podcast and be sure to share it on social media. If you must. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavour. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.